재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 We're back. We are continuing our discussion on voluntary retirement schemes. Uh, various firms looking into this. They want to trim the fat. They want to cut costs. A lot of them going through some financial difficulties. Uh, on the flip side of this, uh, we also have the government trying to, to boost employment, especially for the youth. They would like to push through these labor reform bills. Um, flexibility in the labor market. There are certainly some fundamental disagreements on uh, how flexible it should be and, of course, uh, the well-being of these workers who, for many of them, have it very difficult in terms of finding a decent job. Give us your thoughts. Text us at pound 1013 for 51 or send us a Kakao Talk message by adding TBSCFM as a plus friend. Once again, joining us here in the studio, we have Professor Yang Jun-Suk. We also will be joined by a sociology professor from Chuang University, Lee Byung-hun, shortly. Professor Yang, now one thing is, it feels like, okay, fine, voluntary retirement, you can do that. But one of the reasons why we're talking about it today is, and I know generally, I, I, I'm assuming that you're pretty um, positive in terms of labor flexibility goes, but if we have a voluntary retirement scheme, and in Tucson, there are these reports going out that maybe a particular employee said, look, I, I don't want to be a part of this program, and they completely ostracize him in some weird kind of, uh, uh, like, uh, I suppose, um, you know, like dunce corner where they're kind of putting him into this isolation chamber. That doesn't sound like the way a company should behave, regardless of how you feel about voluntary retirement, right? Well, you could also sort of flip it around if they want to get rid of this worker for some reason. And uh, for this worker, it seems like he's very unlucky. It doesn't seem like he's an unproductive worker. He just seems to be just right. uh, bad luck. But uh, if you want to get rid of a worker because, say, he's bad for the uh, environment, he's he's not a good worker, right. what do you have to do? And at least in terms of uh, the larger companies like Tucson, which has to obey all the lo- rules, that has to obey all the uh, – uh, cross all the T's and dot all the I's, uh, then this might be the only way that they have left because Korea apparently, at least by some measures, have a very strong labor protection regulations. So you're saying it's within their rights to actually – do this to the employee? I mean, aside from the economic arguments of, of having these employees participate, but just the moral argument or the optics of this fact of this guy who just wants to work and just keep his job uh, being Well, we can out. compare this to, say, the uh, case in the United States. United States, you don't really need a justification to... Uh, Everyone's at will. Right. right yeah. uh, so you could just fire the workers and that's the end of it. But why do they have to go through all this, make this guy's life living hell? Because otherwise they cannot get rid of him. Mm. Now, the other fundamental question before we get into sort of the more, I guess, societal aspects of uh, jobs and voluntary retirement is it feels like then the government sort of is at cross purposes here. On the one hand, uh, the Blue House has been pushing for these labor reform bills. It's been met with pretty fierce opposition from the unions as well as the opposition party. On the other hand, you're saying the government, as part of this scheme to push out these workout programs, are looking at these companies saying, look, you got to you got to go through and show us something about costs and profits uh, that might include these voluntary retirement programs, but they're disproportionately 
targeted towards the young people. So if the government is trying to boost jobs for young people, it doesn't seem like it's kind of counterproductive. Yeah, it's kind of counterproductive, but you can see the logic behind it. Uh, bec- uh, you need to uh, have the company go to the workout, become more profitable. Well, what can they control in the short run? They cannot really control how much long-term investments that they made. They cannot really control, say, the interest payments because they borrowed the money for a few years. So what they have control over is short-term labor costs. And, well, who are you going to get rid of first? People who have worked here for a long time have a lot of expertise or somebody who just came in mm. and doesn't really ha- is not really settled in, uh, in the workplace yet. And uh, they may not be contributing to the profitability of the company because they're so new. Whenever you hire a new worker, you have to invest money in training him. You have to invest money in setting up an environment for him. So for a couple of years to about four or five years, this guy may not be contributing that much to company's profitability. So who's, who are you going to get rid of first if you have to get rid of somebody? Somebody who's not contributing. Okay. But then it doesn't it go both ways with the labor flexibility idea is that not just on the on the low end to have that flexibility and if you're going to to cut out workers, maybe have it with the, the l- less productive younger workers. But at the same time, they have that cost issue with the seniority-based, not very meritocratic system of the older, more senior employees who may not all be very productive, but there's a way, whether it's uh, in retirement age or what have you, in terms of how to control costs on that end. So you, as you see a lot of people who are sort of forced into early retirement. Uh, you see a lot of people who are working in the managerial side, and once they get to about 50 uh then uh you make uh, the company makes a determination with this this guy can go up to top management then he goes up but for majority of these people who cannot manage to go up to the top management they're forced to take early retirement so the retirement age for these management workers are getting younger and younger so they're being squeezed in the middle yeah certainly a difficult situation we're going to get the thoughts now of uh, so- sociology professor at Chungang University, Professor Yi Byung-hoon, who's on the line. Hello. Hello. Professor Good evening, Lee. Hallie. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Professor Lee. Good evening to you. In your opinion, how problematic are vol- uh, voluntary retirement programs? Do you think these programs are uh, strictly on an individual employee's voluntary basis without any pressure from management? Yeah, without pressure from the management. Uh, I think the problem is the voluntary retirement plan, VIP, is often involuntarily involuntarily implemented. Many companies like Korea Telecom, Tucson InfraCore, Asian Securities, employees who refuse to accept VIP are given very disadvantageous treatment. Some are given no work. Some are sent to a training camp in which is not related with their job. Some are even sent to a local office far away from their living place. In such cases, VIP has been a target of strong complaint among employees. Now, in your view, again, as a sociology uh, expert, yes. what are some of the social problems that would come about by forced early voluntary retirement? It's almost an oxymoron. But what, in what cases are voluntary retirements advantageous for employees? Uh, if the... The uh, employee has planned to go uh, to outside, change their job. Then VIP or ERP uh, help uh, them uh, and um, give some money uh, for them to uh, help uh, ha- uh, to uh, make their living for job search period. So that could be a good side for employees. 
Okay, so basically, if you wanted to quit your job and you got this nice um, severance package, I guess that could work out for you. I don't know how a big a percentage of people there was. Uh, Professor Lee, during the Asian financial crisis, uh, yes. uh, these financial struggling firms, they were laying off workers um, and they brought on temporary re- workers to replace them. Right. And yeah. this kind of shattered the paradigm of employment security. Uh, do yes. you think we're seeing sort of a similar thing uh, in the labor market today? Uh, yeah, you have seen a sort of the paradigm shift uh, since 1998. Uh, at the time, we had the financial crisis, and the crisis transformed our labor market fundamentally, I think. And then companies began taking structuring action to cut off their payrolls almost every year or um, uh, often and increasing the use of non-regular labor instead of recruiting regular employees. In the changing labor market, job security has been weakened very much. And as a result, working life of our working people has been more and more vulnerable and insecure over time during the past 15 years. These governmental proposed Labor yes. reform bills, Professor, if they do get approved in Parliament, in your opinion, does it make it easier for employers to fire anybody they want, people who they think are underachieving workers? And do you think this bill will have an effect on this already shaky job security problem? Uh, uh, first of all, there is not a mm, uh, labor law, labor bill. Uh, there is a uh, government administrative uh, guidelines. Uh, only this year, government announced its administrative guidelines to allow employees to fire underachieving employees. I think uh, if this guideline is put into effect, our workers' employment become further insecure. However, I'm not sure if the guideline is implemented as in- intended because uh, the unions and many workers are very upset, upset about uh, about it and try to resist its implementation at a place. That, uh, that um, I think, that could be hard um, issue to produce labor uh, labor minimum confrontation this year and in the coming years. All right. Well, we're yes. going to have to leave it there. Professor Lee, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Okay, thank you. Bye. Professor Yi Byung-hun from Chungang University, uh, joined here by Professor Yang Jun-suk. Uh, any thoughts on what you just heard? Okay, well, obviously from the uh, workers' uh, – well, I always feel sort of uh, bad about uh, analyzing this because, well, professors have tenure. So yeah. we can't get uh, fired unless we do you something really stupid. can be really as unproductive stupid. as you want, I right. suppose. Uh, but – uh, if you look at it just purely theoretically uh, as an uh, – academically, then the best way to keep your job is to have high productivity, uh, very uh, low unit labor costs. So uh, depending on what you make, what you cost in order to make it is fairly low. That's probably the best job security that you can have. Uh, problem is the uh, – the feeling is that Korean uh, jobs, especially uh, when you get to sort of the highly protected part of the uh, uh, labor market, uh, the uh, productivity doesn't seem to be that high. And that, I think, is what's driving all this problem. And, well, 
uh, one of the ways that you can improve productivity, it's probably not the best way to do it, but one way of doing it is to have more insecurity about your job. Uh, and in fact, that could explain why some of the uh, tablet companies give much higher uh, wages than, say, the uh, small and medium-sized companies because uh, people who go into these uh, Jebar-type uh, high-wage companies know that if their productivity is low and they get fired, then uh, they have to take a low-wage, small and medium uh, company So job. they have a lot of incentive to be very productive is what you're saying? At least that's, what, uh, that's, what, that's why uh, the wages for the uh, Jebar companies may be so high compared to the small and medium-sized companies. But that incentive only works if uh, the Jebar companies can fire people fairly easily. Uh, if you get high wages but you don't get fired, then you have basically what you see right now, which is a whole lot of young people trying to get into these high-wage jobs. And if they don't uh, get it on the first try, then they try to uh, try, try, try again. And from the point of view of the uh, Jebel companies, they try to pick the best workers that are possible, but they can once they hire them, they cannot fire them. So they try to look at things like uh, specs. Uh, they try to look at which school they came from. And uh, so you have... Uh, are those accurate? signals, though, as far as gauging the productive... I mean, is there empirical research done that if you go from a sky, you got off-the-charts TOEIC scores, and you have all these other certificates that that will be a signal for a productive employee? Well, back in the days when you had only about 20 or 30 percent of the people going on to college, it did seem like a okay. fairly... Uh, accurate signal. But now in the days when you have 80 to 90 percent of people going to college and when uh, there, there's so much uh, demand for diversified talents, it's not as good a signal anymore. But actually the best signal that you can have is to have the p uh, person working for some amount of time. Probationary period. Right. So that's why the internships are so popular and you hear some cases where at least in the large companies they hire these intern workers or people from SMEs that they know can work very well. That's obviously a signal that they can work well. Problem is that only works if you can hire and fire people easily. Okay. I know that then uh, your assessment of the uh, labor reform bills being proposed by the current government right now, uh, uh, you feel they are a necessary step to solving a lot of these problems? Uh, yeah, I mean, we could go and look over each one of these provisions and say whether it's absolutely necessary or not. But as a whole, I think that type of flexibility is required, especially if you want to get more young people working and if you want to sort of break the ties of the best universities having the best jobs. So I think it's something that's necessary, but with that, uh, you need to strengthen the social safety net. So once you're fired from a job and until you can find an appropriate other job that you can go to, uh, you need to have some kind of a support. What if that's not there then? Well, uh, of the, uh, set of the law, set of laws that government is trying to pass, one of them is the uh, strengthening of unemployment insurance. So... Obviously, unemployment insurance will not solve everything, mm -hmm. but I think they're a good companion. It's a bit of a give and take so that you have more risk, but you have more unemployment insurance. So they should consider it together. I know you're not a political scientist, but obviously <laughs> there's an element of politics involved with this National Assembly. The, the president, it seems like for ages now, has been railing against the uh, National Assembly members for not taking action on this bill and really nobody's paying attention to anything in terms of pending bills because of the fact that we got these big elections coming up in April. Now, depending on how those results go, uh, it seems like 
maybe the most expected outcome would be status quo with with the ruling party having a majority of seats. But um, the the opposition, if you pull them together, having enough of a block to basically Mm -hmm. block most of these initiatives going through, you're not very optimistic that this is going to be passed within this president's term, I'm assuming, right? The only way that I see it passing this year, uh, I'm not sure about until the end of the presidency itself, but the only way I think it'll pass this year is if this current National Assembly election, the ruling party gets a supermajority. Right. And I don't think, at least uh, from what we see now, I don't think that's going to be possible. It's not going to be possible. But, uh, do you f- fear, I mean, obviously we just had a sociology professor uh, joining us, but in your thoughts, do you fear that all of these sound economic principles that are in play in terms of making these decisions on policy, the aspect of social cohesion and this idea that people are so... I mean, it's almost, it's not necessarily parallel, but it's analogous to what you're seeing, this anger building in the U.S. with the political, and you're seeing these candidates, whether it's a Bernie Sanders on the left or Donald Trump on the right, that is kind of channeling that anger and frustration, that that could be a risk here in Korea as well. Well, it's always a risk. And I think one of the biggest risks is that, well, Professor Lee mentioned earlier, is that we used to have a right, at least if you go into the good companies, of having job security, and you make a good wage, a higher than average wage, from the the time you get into the company until you retire at a ripe old age. And that right has disappeared. And I think one of the big problems uh, behind social cohesion is that people really don't like giving up their rights. They like getting more rights, but they really don't like giving giving it up. And even if it's necessary, uh, I think the fact that the older people feel that they're giving up rights that they used to have, whereas the younger people feel that, well, they, they don't expect these rights to begin with. They never lived in a period where they had guaranteed lifetime employment. And that kind of uh, one side giving up its rights, other side having no rights to begin with, uh, naturally drives conflict uh, within, the comp- uh, within the country. Is it almost impossible to solve that generational conflict that you're talking about? even goes with pension schemes, right? With the younger people saying, why am I putting all my money into funding these guys when I know that my benefits in a generation are going to be completely slashed? It's, it's going to be very difficult to solve that. Yeah, it's going to be almost impossible. But uh, on the other hand, it will be somewhat temporary. Why do uh, you say? Because the older generation will shrink in the long run. Uh, but... Demographics. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, but still, until that problem works itself out, we're going to see more and more conflict, not less. Yeah. The, the, I, I guess to put it bluntly, what Professor Yang is saying is that uh, the old people complaining now, uh, unfortunately, will not be around in later generations. But yeah. then we're uh, going to have that demographic problem of a huge percentage of the population now in the elderly Yeah, I mean, group. Uh, because of, we have this demographic problem, the uh, social conflicts are almost unavoidable at the moment. All right. Well, uh, some sobering thoughts indeed. Professor Yang, as always, love your analysis, and we thank you for joining us. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you.